This is the Future of the Future show. I am your host, Mateo Berbejillo. Joe, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having us. Very good. So guys, today we're going to talk about data. And more specifically, we're going to talk about how companies can leverage data to accelerate growth and increase margins. And whenever I talk about data, there's a phrase that comes to mind. And that is, data is the new oil. And I thought, since 2023 is the year of AI, and AI relies so much on data, I took the liberty of asking ChatGPT about that phrase, data is the new oil. And I would like to get your thoughts on its response as a starting point for our conversation today. So first, here's what ChatGPT said to my question. The phrase data is the new gold or the new oil has become increasingly popular in recent years as data has become more valuable and essential to businesses and organizations. The comparison to gold implies that, like gold, data has become a valuable commodity that can be bought, sold, and traded. However, data is even more valuable than gold as it can be used to influence future behaviors and decisions. Additionally, the comparison to gold suggests that data is a finite resource that can be mined, processed, and extracted, but we all know that data really is only growing with time. What are your thoughts on, on this response from, from our friend ChatGPT? It's amazing. I, I, think, uh, I think somebody must have had a lot of data to train ChatGPT. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, yeah, I think when I when I think about oil, I think about horrible things in the world like uh, plastics and pollution and all these sorts of sorts of things. I think you know the uh, um, the idea of data is like it's an asset like oil, but it, it to your friend ChatGPT, uh, their comment like it's we're not going to run out. If anything, like it just gets bigger and bigger, and you know there's some some fun statistics about like you know, how much data we're generating every year surpasses all the data ever generated in all prior years, or, you know, those types of fun things. But yeah, I think, I think it's a valuable entity or asset uh, that you can use uh, to do all sorts of good things in the world uh, and profitable things as well. Uh, so I, yeah, I think it, get, it did a pretty good job. It's great. Right. And you, you touched a little bit on it. Um, it seems to me, from my perspective, that data is more available than ever, but this does not necessarily mean that it's being leveraged to its fullest extent. Do you agree with that? Do you see a little bit of that in your in your line of business? I yeah, I think um, I think we've only begun to think about what data can do. Uh, frankly, you know, I think um, the co the companies that are really using data. Uh, are are typically the really humongous companies in the world, um, you know. And your your comment about ChatGPT, you know, it takes a huge supercomputer that most companies will never have the ability to go access to train that uh, GPT model. Um, but and you know, I think most companies are very early in their in their journey of trying to understand what data they have, what data they could have. Um, maybe where I think the analogy with oil is a pretty good one is it's, uh, you have to refine the oil and make it into something useful. So how to, how to do the data refinement and cleaning to make it usable. Um, yeah, Joe, what would you add to, to that? 
Uh, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, uh, because the amount of data is always growing, it's, it's a constant, uh, it's a constant job to, to go and, and figure out how that data integrates into your business, how it becomes valuable for your business. If it's just noise or if it's something that, uh, you know, deserves some attention and, and, uh, and integration in, into your decision-making process uh, for, for your business or maybe for your customers. Very good. And both of you have a lot of experience in the data science world and specifically on helping companies unlock value from their data, right? So what can you tell us about what you do and how you help companies unlock that value and maybe some, some examples of how companies might unlock that value? Yeah, I'll, I'll start and then Joe, uh, jump in. Um, yeah, you know, I think typically, Mateo, we would start with some kind of an as assessment to help a company understand what their data landscape is, you know, what, what kind of data they have uh, stored in their own uh, company. You know, maybe it's in some, you know, data lake, Some maybe it's in thousands of spreadsheets in some shared folder somewhere. It could be any of these things. Uh, and then, you know, based on, what we discover working with them uh, in that sort of assessment process, we'll put together some kind of a plan. And, you know, that plan might be something like, you know, let's build a data lake with you using a cloud software, a cloud environment, or it might be, you know, let's go try to build a predictive model and see if the, you know, the kind of size of data and the quality and, and uh, cleanliness of the data is good enough to, to build a model. And, you know, in not every case is that possible. Um, I think that's, you know, that's typically the, the the beginning of those cases. And, you know, I think Joe can give a couple really nice example use cases of, of kind of where that sort of thing goes from there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think, you know, through the history of, of what we've been doing with data and, and a lot of the, I would say a lot of it is, is kind of naturally coming from more of a, a finance and a dollars perspective of how do I how do I use all this data around pricing and availability and uh, you know the, the market conditions to determine uh, you know what should be the margin on this product or what should be the price and and those kinds of things. So once once you know um, once you have all that data together, you can build things like uh, pricing engines or lead scoring. Uh, mechanisms for potential customers or uh, maybe some some kind of uh, decision making uh, tool to help help with uh, you know maybe even what kind of real estate to buy or where to buy it uh, sort of scenario does the industry matter or do you guys work with companies coming from any industry and then you f you figure out kind of what matters most to them industry doesn't matter with one exception, Mateo, we, we don't like to work with companies that are doing something bad in the world or, you know, something that uh, I, I like to say, does it pass the, can I talk to my mom about a test? <laughs> um, and, you know, so I, I think within that, there are certainly some industries that um, we, we've spent the most time in and have the most familiarity with. Uh, and, you know, we know we know some good questions to ask. But I would also say, like, one of the really interesting things with with data is um, often having people from kind of outside of your industry ask questions 
can be really informative because maybe somebody's been thinking about the particular you know use case or their own industry for 20 years the same way and sometimes it's that spark of of interesting question from somebody that you know maybe it's maybe it's a dumb question but maybe it's the question that unlocks a whole lot of more profit or you know market growth or or whatever um and you know frankly as as consultant it's 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 really fun to get to learn new industries and ask those kind of questions and uh see people's you know wheels turn in their in their heads sometimes when you when you ask these kind of questions i love it and so you're helping the first thing you do is you do an assessment and you help an, an organization understand what data they have, right? You look at the lay of the land and you go like, okay, let's see what you really have. And you start asking questions from there. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing look like, right? I mean, you, you start doing this and maybe what is a team of three people, data scientists, uh, business analysts, uh, what type of people do you put into these projects so that they also can ask the right questions yeah really just you know um that that sort of assessment phase it's it's people who can do an analysis or analyst at that point it's too early for a data scientist it's too early for any software it's too, it's it's really asking a question so the example might be something like um how do you sell your product how do you how do you know if you lost the sale or not and and if the answer is something like we only know when we win the sale, then building something that's going to help them grow their sales might be difficult because you don't you don't capture the loss. So then it's, you know, the output of the assessment is, uh, hey, we, pro we probably can't build you a propensity to buy model. However, we would recommend you work with your CRM, you know, so solution or your selling solution uh, to record better how you're losing um, as an as an example of the assessment or it could be you know a more advanced uh, use case where the the customer or, or potential customer ha already has a big data lake and they want to know some question like um, hey are there datas in the in that you can buy or that are open source data that we can add to this data you know the example I would would give you on that is Hey, we have all the, you know, we have a, a big database of sales by store and we have thousands of stores around, uh, around the world. We want to know which, which stores are most successful. Well, we might do something like bring open street map data or another ge you know, geo data set in to say, well, maybe the most successful stores are the ones that are closest to another type of store. And, you know, that helps them think about maybe the next time they, you know, they open uh, a new store to put it next to, you know, a uh, uh, fast food or, you know, whatever it might be. So there's all these kind of things. It's, you know, part of part of those assessments, Mateo, is like it's not a, a scripted one size fits all. It's very much a, every question you ask leads to two or three other questions. And eventually you build this idea of like, hey, we think the first project you might want to think about is X and we're going to go do a proof of concept, which is usually the next thing that says, hey, we think uh, like we're going to go test and make sure that there's enough signal or enough quality data to go build a build a model. I think that's the way I would, would think about it. So, yeah, it's, it, it, it's usually just one or two people who are very inquisitive 
you know, people asking a bunch of questions and, and helping to build out an idea of what that might look like. Does size matter in terms of size of the company or it's all really about the size of the problem you're tackling or the company is tackling? It's, yeah, the, 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 the size of an organization typically doesn't matter. It, what matters is the type of data that they've collected and maybe for how long, you know, like imagine, uh, there's a brand new company never done anything. It probably doesn't have a whole lot of data. It doesn't mean you can't go find data or buy data or add data from, you know, uh, other sources. But if, you know, if I go back to that selling example, you, if, if you've had no history of sales, or if you've had 10 years of really high quality history of what you've sold, those are two very different starting points in terms of how you might leverage data in that, in that case, as an example. Got it. What happens when a company doesn't really have defined metrics? They don't have KPIs, OKRs. They're just, you know, going with the wind and, and they want to leverage data. Do you, do you start defining those KPIs and OKRs with them? How do you approach such a situation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, not knowing what you're, what you're going after is, is a big problem. So, so putting, putting those stakes in the ground of, you know, these are the KPIs that uh, really define our business is a conversation and it's a, it's a uh, discussion and, and a, an agreement with the, with the business about, you know, what, what should they be, uh, you know, how do we, how do we want to measure those? How often do we want to measure those and, and how do we, what data do we need to get there? So, uh, so for sure, that's a, that's a key part of, of, uh, you know, those initial discussions, uh, and for the assessment. I, yeah. Mateo, I, I would just add, like, I think maybe more often what we encounter is companies that have too many KPIs and OKRs and these sort of things. So imagine, you know, there's, thousands of metrics or hundreds of metrics and you try to understand what the levers are that you can help a company with to grow or to be more profitable or whatever they're looking to achieve and it's impossible to get aligned as an organization or it makes it really difficult to say we're going to go focus on this one thing and that's the key to growth because there's there's you know nobody is accountable it's the hundreds of metrics imagine driving a car with hundreds of gauges, like you don't need this. You just, you need to focus on the one thing that really matters or the three things, you know, some small number of, of metrics and then just go drive those things. And that's that, like, I think probably the company that doesn't have any metrics is not calling us for data science work. Uh, they, they might need a strategy help. The, the companies more often come with like this whole bucket of tons of metrics and it just, it, uh, we help them really kind of focus on what actually matters for their particular uh, business. I remember my my corporate life and the discussions we will have about what KPIs matter most. And different business units may have different opinions of what matter most, right? Do you find those situations and do you do you get into companies that maybe have uh in fighting between business units of what matters most and how do you go about that? Do you need a special type of champion within the company that will help you kind of decide 
between different opinions and 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 just move forward yeah you know typically what we're looking for in the in these assessments is a combination of ability to go understand and analyze data maybe you know build a model on top of the data but also the ability to enact change and so you know the like there's one version of this whole story that is some very smart person makes a pdf document that says you should do something and there's another version of this whole story that says we have the model output connected to some purchasing system or directly uh moving a, a prospective customer to the top of the lead list or something like this where actual change can happen and i think when 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 we think about you know those identifying the right place to start it's typically like within some division there's a good amount of data there's an ability to build some sort of you know analysis whether it's ml or not uh as well as like this lever where we can actually instrument a change and something happens where we can you know generate a benefit to the business and actually you know it's also important to be able to measure that it was this algorithm or you know a, a formula whatever it is that's actually generating the benefit and that that's you know kind of the uh where it stops being an experiment and starts changing the the way the the business works and that requires you know a, a bit of an open mind that this is not some science experiment on the side it needs to be something that can actually drive a change what project makes you most proud is there is there are there things that you've done with clients that you're super proud of that you can tell us here i imagine there are sometimes confidentiality agreements and stuff you cannot mention right but is there anything that makes you proud because of the type of project the impact the complexity that you can share with us i i you know i would i'll start and, and joe please jump in but you know i think in some way every project makes me proud of it. like i think it's fun to to be in a position where you get to do these types of things and and work on really hard problems um but the ones that i really you know frankly enjoy the most are the ones that um are either cases where the customer didn't really understand that they had a problem um you know so there's there's a version of an engagement that is they have a problem they just need a solution but there's this other one that is we can reach out to a company because we use data ourselves too um and and find ways that we can help them where that maybe they didn't even understand that there was an opportunity uh those i get i get excited about um and you know i think yeah and i, I would uh, joe please jump in I, the, we do lots of other exciting things that are that make make people proud too but yeah, for sure. The, uh, you know, the examples where you're, you're affecting change in the world for, for the better, uh, is, uh, is pretty amazing. I think, you know, also, uh, projects that involve sort of outside the box thinking. So, uh, for example, um, you know, we, we have a project where we're trying to, uh, prevent, uh, prevent poaching of endangered species and, one outside of the box thought was, "Hey, who can identify dead animals?" Oh, uh, guess what? A group of vultures can. And if a group of vultures is circling over a particular uh, landscape, uh, you can probably guess that there is a dead animal there. 
uh, and uh, it needs to go be inspected and and recorded and understood what 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 happened in scenarios where you're trying to protect uh, protect uh, endangered species. So it's a uh, sort of that outside the box thinking uh, that I really enjoy and, and that I, I know a lot of people really enjoy around you know solving that problem and understanding uh, all of the things that are available to, at your fingertips to go and and uh, you know look for clues and and, and help to uh, help to bring out a solution to life. Very nice. I, I like the outside of the box thinking the create this there's creativity there as well. Um, and that brings me to this question. It seems talent is very important for you. It seems that that the people that you assign to a project are key to the success of that project, right? How do you go about finding the right talent? Is there anything special you do during interviews to see if people have that type of outside-the-box thinking? You know, Mateo, I, I think when we met you, I don't know how long ago this was now, maybe maybe over a year. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it, it's a little bit of a feeling of how well can we have a conversation between our between what we're thinking and, and how well can we communicate ideas and thoughts. And I think your comment actually at the first time we met was, you know, you sound like someone that I would really like to go have a beer with. And, and, you know, it's, it's some of that attitude of, you know, um, do I get along with this person? Do I see myself, uh, as a, as a great teammate, uh, along with this person, this is somebody that I could go on a, a three day hike with and not want to, uh, you know, throw them off the cliff or something like that. Like, uh, is this some, someone that, uh, I could see, uh, partnering with, uh, and becoming a good teammate. And I, I think it's, it's sort of a gut feeling. We don't always get it right. Obviously, uh, no one does, but, um, but you know, when you've been on successful teams in the past, you, you go back to those relationships and, uh, the ability to just, just have a, a fun and, uh, an intelligent conversation to, uh, because, we're doing this all day, every day. It needs to be fun. It needs to be uh, applicable, and and yeah, I love it. Do you do you look for similar things in clients? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, uh, it, it always depends on the customers. I'd say uh, every. I would say between every uh, business partnership, and uh, no matter if that's sort of a vendor-client relationship or or true partnership. Um, yeah, you have to understand each other. You have to know, do more than the status report kind of, uh, things you have to really understand their business. And in order to do that, you have to have a relationship, um, with the people and, and, you know, the stronger we build those relationships, the more we trust each other and can make, you know, out of the box recommendations that may, uh, that may spur other business or solve other problems for them. Nice. Um, Let's go back to the data itself. What makes data usable or not usable for this type of work, right? You go in, you look at the data, you do your assessment. Like you said, there might be Excel spreadsheets, there might be a data lake, there might be whatever, right? What makes it easier for you guys to start building recommendations and engines for recommendations? Yeah, what makes it easiest or easier would be if there's lots of it, if it's really well structured, and if there's a clear outcome variable or column, however you want to think of it, in the data. So the the first one is like, generally speaking, 
Uh, the more data you have, the better. And, and uh, the ratio between the number of rows and number of columns should be at least like 10x the number of rows than columns, something like this. Is a, is a, um, if, if any data science people are listening, they're going to give you a bunch of comments that I don't know what I'm talking about on that statement. Uh, the, se the second one is like, is it well structured? So like, you know, it, is the, uh, like, is there a field that says, uh, quantity and sometimes it's TWO and sometimes it's the number two and sometimes it's, I don't know, you know, it, it should always be something pretty structured. Um, and then, you know, finally, like, is there a target? Like we won the quote or, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the animal survived or, you know, something like this that helps, helps us, you know, understand what the outcome is. What is the output? And by the way, like this never happens. There's always some like cleaning, pre-processing, you know, back to the oil comment. You always have to do that, but that that's generally the easiest thing. Um, and then, you know, the, the, how old is the data? Like if, if, uh, you know, like, like uh, an example might be how often, um, do elevator doors fail in the world? How often do they fail? Probably not very often. But if the only way you know about it is because some maintenance log from, you know, somebody updates every month at the end of the month, probably it's going to be really hard to go do a preventative maintenance if you don't have all the right data and it's really old, you know, those types of things. So having, having fresh data, having a data that's automatically updated that people don't touch with, you know, the good quality, all those kind of things that helps a lot. Ideally it's in some relational database. Ideally it doesn't have to be, uh, ideally there's, you know, some easy way to get access to it, some API or some, you know, something like this. Um, and you know, j j one of the things we specifically can, can call out is like, if there's already some business intelligence tool, like a Tableau or a power BI, some dashboard on top of the data, it means people are looking at it and they probably have gone through some of the work of cleaning it up and preparing it because they're showing it on a dashboard. That's usually a pretty good indication that, you know, like the, at least some of the foundational work has, has already happened. Very good. If a company wants to get started with, with this and getting the right insights to improve their business, how do they go about that? How can they do it? Yeah, I you know I would I would say one one answer is they could call us. Uh, that would be be a great answer. But yeah, but you know, where can they do that, Tony? Where yeah, if they want to call you. Yeah. where can they do that? They can go to nimblegravity.com. It's spelled exactly how you think it would be spelled. Um, you know, in all in all seriousness, like I think that uh, there's probably someone in the organization who has a really complicated spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet is doing a lot of the sort of analysis and cleaning up and all this sort of stuff. That person has figured out how to export things out of three different systems and combine it together in some way. Go find that person, ask them how they did it, and then connect that person to us or, you know, ask that person to, you know, work with some other kind of, you know, uh, computer programmer or developer to go automate that spreadsheet so they don't have to manually combine the things together. And that, that starts that journey, I think, in, in more cases than, than not. What kind of skills will a company need to hire a contract to leverage their data? Let's say they, they need to go 
find someone? Yeah, really, it probably really depends. You know, and and that can be part of the the assessment uh, that that we deliver also. But um, but yeah, I mean, um, it really depends on on what they're trying to get out of the data. Uh, you know, whether they have more uh, third party uh, data or whether uh, you know they have more of their own data. Uh, also, probably depends on on their technical uh, environment and, and some cloud infrastructure. You know, do they have that already set up? Or do they need uh, some help there? So it could be, you know, a range of of data engineers, uh, business intelligence people. Um, you know, it could even be some some systems design, solution architect type people, depending on you know how big or small the problem might be. And so, uh, yeah, really really depends. Okay, when you are working on a project, um, is there an aha moment? Is there a place where you go like, Eureka, we found it, right? We found the the golden thing that we were looking for in this project and now we can give insight to this company that is going to really change how they do business and do how excited do you get if that happens it it i would say it almost always happens but it's almost always something right next to the question that the customer originally asked not the thing they asked and you know the typically we like to ask customers for their hypotheses you know, so they'll have like, hey, you know, when we when Bob is the salesperson, he he always brings the biggest deals or they'll have, you know, they'll have the the urban legend of how how these things work. And we'll start the exploration there. But one of the really fun things about data is sometimes you'll find this thing right next to the question that the customer originally asked that actually turns out to be super valuable and interesting and, you know, of course, we ask, answer the question they ask, but like, hey, you know, being able to go to a customer and say, hey, uh, we found this thing in the data and it's really weird and we think it's super interesting. That's a, that to me is a, a fun aha moment, you know, where you're able to kind of reveal things about their own company that maybe they've been at for 20 years or something where they didn't know. At, or no one in the whole industry knew about this thing, and we were able to go kind of discover it through uh, through that. That's a that's a aha moment. Of course, there's also this aha moment when you can build a really highly predictive model, and it's you know it's it's giving some fun fun thing. But you know, I I get pretty jazzed up about the sort of stories that data can tell um, that uh, that aren't aren't expected or you know were. The, the data is going to lead you wherever it leads you kind of thing. One thing that, that so I did a, a, a course back in the day, Six Sigma Greenbelt, right? And I remember being like, okay, so there's correlation and there's causality. And that conversation, you know, we brought up that conversation many times in the company because there was a lot of, people talk a lot about correlation, right? And they go like, oh, see these two points of data, something is happening because of this. And correlation doesn't always mean causality. Do you find yourselves having that conversation often and educating or differentiating between the two? Uh, every day. And we, we also like to talk about ways to avoid those problems, which is specifically things along the lines of experimentation. So back in school, we all learned the scientific process where you have a test and a control and that's where you would, you know, in business, you can do this as well. You can have the new way of 
buying or selling or calculating some something and you can have the old way and you can run them side by side for some period of time and you can say uh this is actually what's happening because we changed only one thing and we can compare it to the 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 uh the control so i i would say we have that we have these all the time the other thing in data that is is a frequent conversation in addition to the you know the chicken egg or the cart horse kind of question is bias so you know the the conversation is is there some uh underlying bias in the data about you know the hey we only won uh this business uh because of some factor that you know is it skewed some way or the other like if we lost the deal but we didn't try very hard we didn't write it down as a loss well that's a bias that means all your data is focused on the deals we really tried hard like if you're not putting every deal into your CRM and you're trying to build a predictive model, that's probably a problem. Like the, you know, so I think those are the the things that I would uh, I would say, um, yeah. But when a whole lot more traffic comes to our website after this podcast, I would say the cause and effect is clear. Causality all the way. Um, yeah. uh, the other thing that comes to mind is. Um, we business people teams, uh, uh, tend to think about solutions and tend to be executive. And executive means you you implement solutions and you go do things, right? And one of the things I learned is sometimes we spend too little time defining the problem and too much time just running like crazy, implementing solutions maybe for a problem that was ill-defined or didn't exist to begin with. When you are starting a project, how much time, how important it, is it for your project to be successful to really define that first problem or objective that you're trying to solve? Yeah, it's a great question. I I kind of have two answers for it. One is, it's incredibly important to have at least a starting point, um, and 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 that means like you've defined the what you're trying to do pretty well. As I said uh, a moment ago. You need to have a little bit of an open mind, I think, to consider other things you know that might might come up as you look at it. Um, the other answer is, you know, I think like the um, and maybe this is part of the open mind is sometimes uh, we see yeah we see cases where companies are are looking for proof that that something they believe is true wow. and. And, and, you know, the, the, the openness of, of everyone involved to sort of, of accept if that thing is not true or, you know, it, it's sometimes uh, possible to have like four different graphs and those four different graphs, three of them confirm the thing that they wanted to be true and one doesn't. And sometimes, you know, we all have this thing where, ah, it's okay. We have these three that explain it and back it up. And we just talk about those three. So I think, I think that's uh, that's there. And you know, I think the 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 other thing I would say is like, if you don't take time to really understand what's happening and think about the out outcome, uh, and you just go execute, uh, you could you could create some problems. Like you know, a, 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 a scenario where you know you just made some like the, the back to our friend with the manual Excel spreadsheet, like. If you get that automation wrong, you just made 
bad things happen way faster. Like there's, yeah. there was no benefit in that. So, you know, I think that's how, how I would, I would suggest thinking about it. Very An open mind to defining the problem, an open mind to defining the solutions and really trusting the data and, and what the data is showing us despite our bias. Or, or, or being open to question the data. Like it could be that you're, you've stored it wrong this whole time. Like, you know, I think it's generally a, a, a questioning mind and being, you know, sort of internally cynical about what you're seeing and ask yourself, why, why is it this way? You know, I think, uh, something like that. And maybe, you know, maybe it's also getting data from more than one place and making sure it says the same thing. Like that could be really impactful too. It's like, can we actually trust this data or is it is it uh, has some problem in it? Different related but different topic. Do you find sort of data synergies like ecosystems between companies? Maybe I don't know, a retail and a you know consumer packaged goods company, some synergies were if they joined forces and joined data, both of them could be finding benefit to you. Do you find those uh, uh, situations and even make recommendations to companies like, hey, if you if you really had a, you know, a partnership here, you could find something very powerful? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I think there's there's uh, an aspect of companies not wanting to share data very openly because it's like a uh, they they view it as their own internal private data and in most cases that's probably exactly the right thing to think about is hey I, there's no benefit in me sharing this data with someone else uh, you know this is this is data I should keep to myself because it'll It'll hurt my business if I share it. And that's the de facto, that's the way people think. But there are cases where um, sharing data that you accidentally generate as part of doing business with some other company and they could benefit a whole lot from it. This is commonly referred to as data exhaust is, is kind of the, the way to think about it. Um, that could be, you know, uh, a really interesting concept. Sometimes you can make some extra money off of selling this data to other people. I, I think there's also cases like uh, where where we see it, it uh, mostly is when it's something to do with the world being a better place to live or climate or, you know, these things where no one has a, you know, everyone's trying to save a species or, you know, control climate or do something there's a lot of um, data sharing in those places because everybody's on the same mission and, you know, it's not as, as much about, you know, kind of uh, keeping somebody else out. Um, and, you know, I think there's other cases where uh, data sharing could be explored. And it's certainly a conversation that we've had uh, more and more frequently of uh, let's find other companies that could share this data or companies that, you know, would be willing to sell data uh, definitely, definitely an interesting topic. What technology trends are you looking at closely when you think about the future of data science? Where Where is your mind at? What gets you excited? What gets you scared? What's coming? Wow. Um, you know, 
Joe, Joe and I were were in a uh, we were in a conversation a few days ago where uh, someone that's not really part of the data science community said this this GPT thing feels like it's going to be more impactful than the iPhone. And honestly, I totally agree with this. You know, we are we are just starting to to understand um, just how impactful this would be. And by the way, just for for awareness, like I'm the guy that said blockchain isn't super interesting, NFT is not super interesting. So I'm not somebody that says this about new technologies that come up every day. But this one, I think, is is really different. And you know, I think uh, we're just starting to see what. Uh, you know, a huge supercomputer and some really smart people at OpenAI can come up with. Um, you know, I, I I jokingly say half my job is telling people they don't need GPT and the other half is figuring out how they do need GPT. And, you know, I think, it, yeah, in, in two, you know, three years ago, we built a kind of prototype on top of GPT-2 and it didn't work very well uh, for, you know, some sort of marketing kind of capability and I really kicked myself, Mateo, that we didn't keep building on this and improving it because here we are and, you know, the world changed overnight. So I, th- I think, you know, on one side, the natural language generation, natural language processing, some of the sort of, you know, multimodal capabilities out there, I think are going to be huge. I would also just say, like, um, there are some fantastic things in the world like Python that are the universal access to capabilities like that and those are pretty constant and like well supported mostly open source so i i would say like there's a part of it that didn't get disrupted that is the core you know things like pandas and you know um, these types of tools that are all sort of inside of that python ecosystem or you know r for for some folks that part of it didn't change. And then, you know, b- the cloud also is a big factor. You know, we don't, uh, I'm old enough that I had to buy a T1 line at some point and set up a router and plug a server into a rack and all this sort of stuff. And like the, you know, you, you spent $20,000 before you had any code written at all. Um, and now, you know, for very little money, you could go do all that stuff and get access to all those huge capabilities uh, really quickly, which I think, you know, th- this is not a new thing, but that's the other big thing that, um, you know, from a technology perspective, uh, moved moved the ball a lot. Yeah. And Joe, Joe's maybe closer to some of the tech stuff, but what else would you add, Joe? Yeah. I mean, I, I think all of that for sure, but the, uh, you know, the tools that are now maturing in the data science community are, are quite impressive. Uh, you know, being able to uh, you know, process and, 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 uh, uh, analyze terabytes of data in very, very short periods of time is continuing to be really impressive. And, you know, certainly the engineers out there that, that get a chance to, uh, load the system up and see, you know, see what it could do, uh, with a full tank of gas is, uh, uh, is, is really fun to talk about and, and learn. We live in very interesting times. Is there anything I should be asking that I'm not asking? Yeah, maybe the, you know, uh, 
the what happens if you don't look at your data or, you know, maybe that, that would be one way to think about it. So, you know, I think, um, data becomes a competitive advantage in a lot of different kinds of businesses. And, you know, if, if I think about like a certain type of product or service, if you have a way to make that service better because you have more data, cleaner data, whatever it might be, and then you, because you've made your service better, you get more customers or users, which means you get more data, which means your service gets better, which means you get more users, which means you get more data, which means your service. So there are ways that if you're, if you can, become a, a a data moat between you and your competitors that I think becomes really hard to overcome in the future. And, you know, I think, um, I think that's one, uh, super interesting thing that if you, if you don't do this, it may be that, you know, you could be disrupted and by this, I mean, go down a data journey. Um, so I think that, that, that would, I, I asked the question and then I answered it, Mateo. The, that's what I needed. Thank you. Yeah, Joe, what, what would you add? There's... Uh, question that you didn't ask. I think you, you covered a lot, Mateo. I think it was good. Joe, Tony, I appreciate it. This was wonderful. I always um, enjoy talking to you guys very much. I look forward to seeing you in Denver. And thank you for being on the show again. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's great, Mateo. Thank you. Yeah.